Amen. Students and families, what a joy to have you with us this morning, those guests who might be here from out of town. I'm glad to have you uh, this morning. If you're a guest of ours for the first time here at Millwood Baptist, is that better? Okay. Uh, we are glad to have you uh, with us this morning. If there's anything we can do for you, uh, we'd love to know about that. Have you ever tried to read a doctor's handwriting? It's a common joke. It's a, a well-known truth, you might say, uh, that doctors tend to scribble. And this has turned into plenty of uh, jokes and memes over the years. One of my favorites is the sign outside of the coffee shop that says, a wise doctor once said, and underneath it is a doctor's scribble. Maybe you've heard about the doctor who was in medical school, turned his paper into his professor. His professor took one look at this and said, I can't read any of this. Good job. <laughs> or maybe you've heard about the doctors who were protesting. What they were protesting about, no one knows because the signs were all handwritten. Have you ever considered Christianity or Jesus and things of the Bible to be like doctor's scribble? It just doesn't make sense. Maybe you can pick out a few letters, maybe you can see where some things are going, but you just you can't, quite, can't quite put it together. Maybe you could go to school for eight years and learn how to read doctor, how could you possibly come to understand the things that are in Scripture? The things in the Bible are not understood by going to school. The things of Jesus Christ are not understood by those elites who are more intelligent than the rest of us. The things of the gospel are understood spiritually. They're spiritually heard. They're spiritually believed and lived. We need God's help to understand and to believe and to follow the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come to give ourselves to your word now for this morning, for the time that we have here, would you be gracious to us and help us would you give us, as it were, eyes to see and ears to hear? In all the ways that we need to continue in faith, God, would you help us to do that? In all the ways that we need to turn from our thinking and our ways, would you help us to do that? We love you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you've been with us recently, uh, we have been going as a church through the book of Revelation in the New Testament, the very last book in the Bible. And we have been going verse by verse, passage by passage, week by week for many months now. Uh, I don't even remember when this began, and we're only now beginning, uh, getting into chapter 4, and we'll be in Revelation for some time. We just finished two chapters that are a kind of a unit in the book of Revelation, these seven letters to the churches from Jesus Christ. And there's a phrase at the end of each of these letters that I want us to give attention to this morning. You can look with me in your Bibles in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 or 3, either one. 
Find one of those letters to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Thyatira. If you need a verse to look at, go to chapter 2, verse 7. Or you can go to chapter 3, verse 22. There is a sentence at the end of every letter that is the exact same. The end of all the letters to the churches ends in Revelation chapter 3, verse 22. Jesus is addressing the seven churches one by one, representative of the whole church. Some churches are faithful and God's Jesus is encouraging them to go forward. Some churches are in sin and idolatry and Jesus is calling them to repent and come back to the gospel. And here's how he ends. This is the ending. This is the conclusion in every letter in the last sentence to the last church Laodicea, chapter 3, verse 22. If you just want to look at the one I'm looking at. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That sentence is at the end of every letter to the seven churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What in the world does this phrase mean for the churches, for me and for you? As is usually the case, Jesus isn't just making things up on his own. He is speaking from his own divine qualities, but he is also recalling, reusing, fulfilling, and progressing what was spoken in the Old Testament. To get a good grasp of what Jesus means by this passage, go back with me in your Bibles back to Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, page 171. If you're in your house Bibles, page 171. If you're here today and you happen to not have a Bible, there should be one under the chair in front of you somewhere. Those are the page numbers I'm referencing. You're welcome to take that Bible as a gift from us today. Deuteronomy chapter 29, here Moses is renewing the covenant with the people of Israel, their commitment, their relationship to the Lord. They're about to cross over the Jordan into the promised land. Moses is not going to go with them. He's sending them on forward. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 29, verses 2 and 4. Moses summoned all Israel, and he said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did. And look, and follow. You saw, you have seen all the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt. You witnessed these things. Before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, the great trials that your eyes saw. Do you see the repetition? You saw these things, the signs, those great wonders. But look at verse 4. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand, or eyes to see, or ears to hear. You saw the miracles with your own eyes. You all walked across the Red Sea like it was dry ground. But you don't yet have eyes to understand. You don't yet have a heart to see what all that means. Go with me in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, a prophet some many years later from this moment, page 571. If you're like me, when I get told to turn to the prophets, I just get nervous a little bit because they're hard to find sometimes. Isaiah is one of the big ones, page 571. Look at chapter 6, verse 8 through 10. This is Isaiah's commission as a prophet to speak for the Lord. He sees the Lord 
high and lifted up, exalted on his throne with the angels and the cherubim flying around singing, holy, holy, holy. And then chapter 6, verse 8, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go up for us? And then I, that's Isaiah, Isaiah says, here I am, send me. And then God says, go and say this to the people. This is your message to the people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. There's a lot to unpack there, but the prophet Isaiah used this concept. Having eyes that see and ears that hear are different than having ears in your head and eyes in your head. Go with me to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 12, page 669. The big prophet Isaiah, the next big prophet is Jeremiah, the next big prophet is Ezekiel. We get Lamentations, then Ezekiel. Chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, the word of the Lord came to me, to Ezekiel, and this is what God said to Ezekiel. Now, what's interesting is the people here at this point have been saved from Egypt hundreds of years ago. But now during Ezekiel's time, because of their sin and their idolatry, now they're in captivity in Babylon. They simply travel from Egypt to Babylon. Here's what the prophet says to Ezekiel, ministering to a people captured in exile. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, you dwell. This is your ministry and your place. You dwell in the midst of a rebellious house who have eyes to see but see not who have ears to hear but hear not for they are a rebellious house the people of Israel were in Babylon because of their sin of idolatry they forsook the Lord followed after the Baals the other gods of the other peoples in their land the people of Israel they don't see they don't hear in Ezekiel, partly because they don't want to see or hear. He says they are a rebellious house. There are more passages that we can look at to see this same phrase used through Scripture, but we start to see that this phrase is referring to Israel's ability to understand. That's what this is talking. It's not just about what you can hear. It's about your ability to understand. Not hearing is really meaning not understanding. It's referring to rebellion, refusing to listen, unhearing in a rebellious sense. The understanding here is the understanding of the heart, not just the mind. Deuteronomy said you, you've not been given a heart to understand or ears to hear. And Isaiah was told what the people need in this case is healing because their ears don't hear and their eyes don't see. We fast forward to Revelation chapters 2 and 3. This is the phrase that Jesus is using, the concept, the quotation, if you will. We come to the churches in Revelation and now Jesus is using this phrase which picks up all these connotations And the meaning from Moses and from the prophets in regards to understanding and rebellion 
in the heart. And Jesus says to the churches what Moses said to Israel and what Isaiah said to Israel and what Ezekiel said to Israel. Except he changes it just a little bit, doesn't he? He says, he who has an ear, let him hear. He who has an ear, let him hear. Is, is Jesus judging the churches? Is Jesus encouraging the churches? The answer is yes. It does both. It's awful and it's wonderful. It's unbearably sobering and yet it is incredibly exhilarating to have the ability to hear. The phrase to the churches is a spiritual, surgically precise exercise of dividing between the church who is truly in Jesus Christ and those who are pretending to be the church. Those who are in the church who might gather with the church, who might say they are a church, but when it comes down to it, they are deaf to God. They are blind to Jesus Christ. When Jesus says, he who has an ear to each church, he is acknowledging and announcing church by church. Ephesus, you've lost your first love. Repent and return to the love that you had at first. But I know not everyone has an ear to hear this. He who has an ear, let him hear. Not everyone who suffered and goes to prison in Smyrna will be faithful unto death. Some in Pergamum will never return from giving themselves to Balaam's idolatry. There will be some in Thyatira who do not hold fast and instead continue to worship and to lay with Jezebel. Some in Sardis will never wake up. Some in Philadelphia may not hold fast to the end. And some in Laodicea will answer the knock of Jesus at the door and tell him we don't need anything. Because they don't have ears to hear. And they don't have eyes to see. There will be some who have been called to church. But seeing they don't see and hearing they don't hear. This is why Jesus speaks to the church in this way. If you have ears to hear. If you're spiritually born again and alive. Listen to these words. He's imploring them. To tune their spiritual selves. Test if they are awake and alive and respond to his messages. I want to spend some time understanding how Jesus and how the Apostle Paul refer to this teaching and how they use it in the New Testament. What does Jesus mean most fully by this phrase? You can open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, page 819. Page 819, Matthew 13. Jesus has been teaching throughout his ministry in parables. Parables are stories designed to teach a point, designed to say something, not just recall something interesting that happened one time. But to many, the parables were simply confusing. They didn't make sense. They didn't, they didn't make a point. Why, why doesn't Jesus just speak plainly? Why doesn't just Jesus just give us some bullet points and a, and a PowerPoint? Why is he telling all these stories about 
sons running away. What's all this stuff about rulers coming up and dealing with their servants after they've been out of town for a while? What are all these? Just speak plainly to us, Jesus. Look with me in Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. Jesus explains exactly what he's doing. Matthew 13, 10 through 17. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus said, It should be simpler if he just kind of handed out a guide. And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance, but the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, which I know is frustrating. It's like Jesus just used a parable to explain parables. Verse 13, this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, when that happens, the prophecy of Isaiah, not six, another chapter, is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart in turn, and I would heal them. That should sound familiar. Follow the train of thought from Moses to Jesus. In Deuteronomy, you, you saw the miracles, but you, you couldn't understand in your heart. In the prophets, you could see it spiritually. The prophets got it, and, and yet they never saw Jesus face to face. They never saw like that. They, just, they only longed for it. And now the disciples in the presence of Jesus, so how blessed are their eyes to see what the prophets were long waiting for. They see it. How blessed are their ears. How blessed are their eyes to look upon Jesus but not for everyone. Not everyone. Some fulfilled this prophecy like the prophecy was a cup waiting to be filled, a door waiting for them to walk through it. When some heard the good news that Jesus was preaching, they heard Jesus' words, but they could not hear him. They heard the parables but they could not understand. They heard the call, but they would not come. What is Jesus saying? Hearing is not always hearing. The totality of seeing is not just seeing. You may see the events of Jesus' life, but that does not mean that you truly understand what Jesus did or believe all that he has said. You may have heard Jesus' teaching, the claims about Jesus, but it doesn't mean that you understand what Jesus said or believe his words about himself and about God. Jesus is affirming the division of people that Moses and the prophets taught. Some will hear, but never hear. Some will see, but never see. You may have seen one of these. You may not know the name of it, but you might be familiar with it. You've seen one of those pictures that when you first look at it, it just looks like 
kind of a blur of a random design. It looks like pixelated or digitized wallpaper. Maybe there's a bit of a pattern recurring in it that you can see, but there's definitely no recognizable image there. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? you tracking it? It's called an auto-stereogram. I had to look it up. An auto-stereogram is designed to create the visual illusion of a three-dimensional scene inside a two-dimensional image. In order to see it, you have to manually focus your eyes past the two-dimensional picture hanging on the wall in order to kind of trick your eyes to look at that image and past it different depths at the same time. When you're able to do that, if you're able to do that, what was once just kind of a glob of, of pixels on the wall suddenly becomes a 3D image. You see something that you couldn't see before. And that's kind of what Jesus is saying. He's teaching what Moses and the prophets taught. Many are going to walk by and look at the pictures on the wall, even the scenes from the Exodus, even the scenes from Egypt, but they'll never really see who God is. Many will hear the mighty wonders of God, even hear his voice on Mount Sinai, but not truly hear God in faith, but instead remain rebellious. They would, as it were, walk right by the two-dimensional image on the wall and never truly see the picture never truly see into it, never truly see there's something deeper than what they saw with their eyes or heard with their ears, functionally blind and deaf to God, even in the face of great miracles and great good news. When Jesus spoke to the churches Revelation saying, he's saying that even in the churches there are some who call themselves the church who are gathering at Pergamum and Sardis when they don't hear. And Jesus says to the church, then when I talk, the ones who have ears, let him hear. Listen to my voice. It's as if it were another way Jesus was saying what he said in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. Let me ask you a question. This might be a bit of a nuanced question, but do you hear the voice of Jesus calling you to return to him and repent today? The picture that Jesus used in John 10 is of a sheep and of a shepherd. We might be more familiar with a playground full of children, that kind of scene. When the father comes to school to take his son home, he might come to a playground full of children, full of other boys, and he might yell out across the playground, son, let's go. But only one son, his son, will recognize his voice and think to himself, that's my dad. And he'll stand up and he will turn around and look for his father and yell, Dad! And he will run to him, knowing him. Familiar voice who can hear Jesus' voice today. 
That is what Jesus is getting at. It's not just seeing and understanding with your ears and hearing a message with your eyes and reading the words on the page, but recognizing that Jesus truly is the Son of God and that God truly is working in your heart and speaking to you through His Spirit. This is what the miracles and the teachings of Jesus are like in His ministry. They're all a bit like two-dimensional images that need to be looked at in faith in order to be seen entirely, in order to be understood fully. They need to be understood truly in the heart. The problem is not that our eyes are blind, that our ears are closed, but that our hearts are deaf to God, deaf to the things of Jesus Christ. Only when our hearts have eyes and our hearts have ears can we truly recognize Jesus as God's Son. Only then truly can that two-dimensional image become a three-dimensional image where we see Jesus as who He really is, God's Son crucified for sinners. Many people saw the miracles of Jesus. They didn't all get excited. They weren't all high-fiving each other. The Messiah had come. Some of them were angry. Some of them were jealous. A lot of people heard the claims about Jesus, but some actually saw and some heard, even some like us here who have never seen Jesus with our eyes. How does that work? How can this be? What does this mean that some people can hear, other other people can't hear? What, What does it mean to actually hear, to have eyes to hear? I want you to see what Paul has to say about this thought in this question. Turn with me in your Bibles. We'll be there in a moment. First Corinthians. I remember seeing people look at auto stereograms for a long time and eventually come to the conclusion that other people are pulling one over on them. And uh, once I figured it out, you can do this, you can train your eyes to do this, to look past the image and see the 3D image, and once you kind of figure out, you can almost, you can really do it manually. You can do it on purpose. I don't know if that's a genetic thing or whatever, but I've seen people stand there and think, you all are crazy. Y'all have all, this is not funny, right? Some people look at those scenes, they never actually see 3D images. And friends, when it comes to the gospel, it's kind of like that. The gospel is very simple. The gospel is not hard to understand in man's terms. The good news of Jesus through Scripture is not that there are some passages in the Bible which are, you know, make you tilt your head like a puppy and go, what? But the message of the Bible is, is simple. The gospel is simple. The word we'll hear often in a faithful church is the word gospel. It simply means good news. And today we're going to look at this four ways God, man, Christ response. This is what the gospel is. Students may recognize this from Disciple Now years ago. God is eternal and existed before creation. He created all things in his own power and in his own, by his own word. God made mankind to be his own image on the earth, his likeness. He commanded mankind to multiply and fill the earth with righteousness like him and his glory. And God is holy and God is good and God is just. But man, mankind, sinned against God. That's all of us. All of us have rebelled against God by using our lives for ourselves. God put breath in our lungs. We use that breath to curse rather than bless, to lie rather than tell the truth. 
We've used our bodies for our own pleasure rather than for God's glory. We've traded worshiping God for treasuring the things he's made instead. We love stuff more than God. We've been cruel to others instead of caring for them. We've taken sex and food and money, the stars and the creation, and we've treasured those things in God's place. So what could God do with man? He sent Jesus Christ. What would God do with man? The gospel is so simple. The gospel is that God looked down on mankind with love and grace. Even though we deserve to have our lives taken from us because God gave us life for the sake of righteousness and glory and we used it for sin toward our own deaths, he looked at us and said, rather than leave them to their own ruin, I want to save them. And he sent his son, his own son, Jesus, born of a virgin, conceived by the Spirit to be born among men as a man that he might go to the cross and die on behalf of men like a lamb for sacrifice, his blood shed to wash away sin. God put his own son, one man down, to die for all other men to wash away their sin so that all men could once again be back with God. Sin removed. That's the good news. God created man, man sinned. God sent Jesus to die on the cross that if we believe in him, we might be saved, and that's the response. God, man, Christ's response, we must respond, we must hear and believe. Christ's blood is applied to our hearts and to our lives when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and we confess our sins and we turn and repent. A call for salvation that needs to be heard in the ears and in the heart. A call sent out to ask you to come in from the storm is no good if no one can hear the call for salvation from death and hell because of your sin is no good if you cannot hear. Enter the Apostle Paul in his understanding of how this comes true for us. His letter to the church in Corinth and then his letter to the church in Thessalonica. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul is writing to the church there who's having a hard time loving each other to say the least, having a hard time believing the truth about Jesus, that he died on the cross and rose again. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul says this about the cross, Jesus' death for sinners. He says, for the cross, the word of the cross, is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of of God. That is, they look at Jesus on the cross and all they see is two-dimensional Jesus, as it were. Pitiable, weak, foolish, dying on the cross. Mockingly, Jesus had that phrase written above his head, the King of the Jews, a dying, crucified King. What a poor, pitiful King. Who in the world would believe in that guy as their savior? Who, who would believe in this guy as the one who can save us from our sin or evil or death? It's silly. It's like people who are walking up to an auto stereo gospel and saying, hmm, I don't see anything here. They hear the gospel of man, Christ, they see the main images there and just think, yeah, cool. Yeah, okay. They shrug their shoulders and move along the way. 
but others. Others hear the gospel. They hear Jesus dying on the cross for sinners and they say, that's God. That's God's love for sinners. And they see into it and they see things that other people cannot see and they hear things that other people cannot hear. And when their eyes are focused on the gospel, on Christ, and their ears are tuned in to hear, they burst with joy and they weep over their sin because I see it. I see, gee, I see him now. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is not just a man. I put my vision past the two dimensions and now I can see it and I hear it and I realize Jesus is my Savior. He's God's answer to my sin. He's the hope of my death. And that happened to me when I was still young, listening to my dad preach the gospel, something that I had heard many times over and over and over. But one Sunday morning, unexplainable to me, as he preached the same gospel I'd heard many times, I heard it for me. And I saw it for me. I heard it differently. My heart was listening. My soul could hear and understand and believe. Why? Eyes to see, ears to hear. And Paul explains, going on next in chapter 2, that the way this comes is by the Holy Spirit giving us eyes to see and ears to hear in our heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, look at verses 7 through 14. Page 953 in your Bibles. Paul is explaining again, continuing the same thought from chapter 1. We just mentioned the gospel and how it's heard. And some people call it folly and foolishness. Explaining how he continues to preach the same gospel, even though some think it's crazy. 1 Corinthians 2, 7 through 14. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages of our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory, Jesus. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom. People think it's foolish. This is not human wisdom. Not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person, the person in the flesh only, does not understand, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. 
The gospel cannot only be seen with the eyes and heard with the ears. It is a spiritual message from God who is spirit, given by the Spirit of God to those who are spiritual to be discerned spiritually. That is, unless we have the eyes and the ears of the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit to bring our souls and our spirits from death so that our eyes are healed to to see again and our ears are healed to hear again. Then we can hear the gospel truly and fully and understand it and believe it. Otherwise, it just doesn't make sense that our Savior would be crucified for sin. Look with me in your Bibles, a couple of books to the right. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9 Page 986, Paul, recalling how the church in Thessalonica became Christians and being thankful for what God has done in their hearts and their minds. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4 through 5. Paul says to the church, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Full conviction. Did you get that? Back in Acts chapter 17, we read that when Paul came to Thessalonica to preach the gospel, he preached the gospel indiscriminately. But there were some who heard the message of Paul about Jesus and reported him to the local Roman authorities saying, Come, lock this man up. He is preaching that there is another king besides Caesar. He's getting the crowds riled up preaching that Jesus is the king. Romans, you ought to be upset about this man. But some heard Paul preach, not in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. With the help of the Holy Spirit, they looked into the autostereogram of the gospel and said, He is Christ. He is king. That's the face of God's son, crucified for sinners for me, and he raised from the grave to give me life. I see it. I hear it. I believe it. Not in word only. That's what it means to have eyes to see and ears to hear. Four quick practical applications. Number one, pray that you might hear. Pray that you would hear. If you find yourself disbelieving and unable to truly see or to hear Christ, what can you do but go to the healer of minds, the healer of hearts, the one who has power over the soul? 
Open the word of God with humility. Begin to read through it. Pick the gospel of John, the gospel of Mark. Open your eyes and ask God to help you see what he says as true. These things are spiritually discerned. It's a spiritual message from a spiritual God to us spiritual people. Consider this as a chief in prayer. Scripture doesn't really encourage us in the New Testament to pray that God would show us signs. Oh God, if I'm on the way today and I'm on the way to Walmart today and a giraffe jumps out in front of me in the street, I'll know that you're real. Mm. Mm. No, these things are spiritually discerned. Here's a sign that you have come to know God when you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, crucified for sin, raised from the dead, and you can hear it and believe it and love it. Look at Jesus Christ to see him on the cross. Look at him risen from the grave. See his kindness. See his mercy. See his severity. And ask the Lord would give you eyes to see and ears to hear. Number two, thank God that you can hear. Thank God if you can hear. There are two kinds of videos that I will watch pretty much every time they come across my social media feed. One of them is soldiers returning home from war, and the other one is children receiving cochlear implants and hearing their parents' voice for the first time. Maybe they were bullied, maybe their school was hard for them, maybe they didn't have any friends because they couldn't talk and hear, but there's that moment when they hear their dad's voice or their mom's voice for the first time and, and they can hear. I think it's one of the best pictures of believing in the gospel of Jesus for the first time. When your eyes are open, you think, I, I really see him, I really hear him now. And I believe those little faces, sometimes even adult faces, hearing for the first time. What a wonderful picture of what it means to have your eyes open, to see past just the stories of Jesus, to be, see past just the accounts of Jesus' miracles and to recognize him by the Spirit's help to see and to hear that he is God's son for our sins. Your life is not going to be peaches and ice cream in the shade all the time, but can you hear? Maybe the weight of the world is on your shoulders and you are anxious with all of life's cares. But can you see? Can you hear God? Thank God. Paul says this later in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, the next chapter over, he continues to tell the church, that same church, that he was thankful that they did not hear the word only. He says, we thank God constantly for this. We just keep thanking God over and over and over that when you received the word of God, you recognized it for uh, when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. We are so thankful that you can hear. Thank God. Thank God. If you've heard and believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number three, Christianity is spiritual. Christianity is spiritual. Never let someone tell you that you can reach a higher plane of spirituality because they say something like, I'm not religious, but I am spiritual. Students who are graduating, you're going to go into a world, and if you haven't begun to hear it already, you will hear it, I think, more in the years to come. I'm not religious, but I am spiritual. 
It is as if to say, I'm spiritual, but I'm so far outside the bounds and limitations of religion, i.e. Christianity. Barna Research Group explains what I think is probably obvious, that those who say this try to make sense of the world outside any religious categories. They are inclined to more informal and more individual modes of spiritual practice. This from their research and their polls. They're saying that this, I'm not religious, but spiritual is a phrase that tends to mean it's a claim to spirituality with no definition, which becomes a spirituality without any spiritual authority, with no spiritual origin of the world, which becomes a spirituality without any morality, because there is no such thing as sin which means deep down I am spiritual but not religious, comes to mean I'm spiritual but I do whatever I want to do. Ironically, it's a claim to be in tune with the higher spirituality. But by rejecting, quote, religion, by denying that true spirituality can ever be connected to any truth claim. Or that true spirituality should never be minimized to any confession. You actually just admit that you are spiritual, but that you can't see. You're spiritual, but you admit that you can't understand all these things because who could narrow them down just to those things? Friends, the Holy Spirit of God enlightens men to the truth of Jesus Christ. Remember, Paul says that when you heard, not in word only, but in the power, the ability of the Spirit. Remember, Paul says we are interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. That's exactly what the Spirit of God does. Listen, church, there's no group of people more spiritual in the world than those who, having received the Spirit of God, see, hear the gospel, and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's not a more spiritual group believing in the Lord Jesus Christ resurrected for sinners is the fruit of the Spirit of God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, no one confesses Jesus as Lord except from the Holy Spirit. No one who truly believes in him only does that by the Spirit of God. Notice that's what Jesus is saying is happening in the book of Revelation Spirituality is not boundless. It's not an undefined experience. Jesus is speaking authoritatively with clear instruction to the churches. Jesus is calling churches to repent from idolatry and continue in faith. Something concrete that you can understand and hear and write and read. And who does Jesus say is speaking to the churches? This is the refrain over and over to the churches in Revelation. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Hear what the Spirit says. Hear what the Spirit says. Christianity is spiritual. Fourth and finally, hearing is for repenting. Hearing is not for hearing. The fruit of hearing 
is repentance. It is not common for is it not common for a father who sees a son disobeying yet again to say to him, Son, did you not hear me? I have heard this many times growing up. It's a favorite phrase of my own. And this is what Jesus is calling the churches to do. He's not just calling them to hear him again. The phrase, he who has an ear, is saying to the churches, I'm announcing this to the church. Everyone will hear, but not everyone will hear in a way which leads to repentance, like Moses and like the prophets said. Jesus does not just call us to a, an enlightenment, and that hearing is the final fruit of the Spirit. Hearing is for repentance. So Jesus is saying to the churches in Ephesus, and he's saying here today, can you hear me, church? Can you hear me, Ephesus? Return to your first love. Set aside all those loves that you have picked up that are greater than God himself and his church. Smyrna, are you there? Do you, do you hear me? Don't be afraid of the suffering that's coming. Be faithful to death. To Thyatira, can you hear me? Do you hear me? Don't keep going back to Jezebel. Hold fast to the gospel instead. To Laodicea, can you hear me? Can you hear me knocking? And open the door and by faith bring me in to fellowship with you. Hearing ears are meant for us to lead and live with repenting hands, repentant feet, repentant mouths. Hearing is for repenting. Jesus is speaking to the seven churches to us today, calling us to live lives as Christians who believe in a way that reflects the image of God, the holiness of God, the love and mercy of God, the patience of God. There's a story in Luke chapter 11 to close. Jesus is speaking to crowd after crowd, explaining the good news of the message of the kingdom that's coming, inviting everyone to hear, to repent, and to believe the gospel. Luke chapter 11 records a moment that as he was speaking, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. Praise God for your mom, Jesus. But Jesus responded to her and said, No, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your kindness to us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We are not deserving of your grace. Uh, we have lived lives in sin and unrepentance, but you sent Christ to die for us while we were yet sinners. Our prayer would be today that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear, that the Spirit would come and help us. Remind us, Father, we don't only see with our eyes and read with our eyes, but we, we see, we hear with our hearts, and we need your help to do that. Father, if there's any here who need help, would you, by the Spirit, help them in prayer, cry out to you, and to hear you, to see and to believe the gospel. 
Father, for any of us who are downtrodden, who are sorrowful, who are overburdened, help us to be thankful that we see you and know you as you truly are and walk in that joy and obedience. We love you, Father. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.